0: Our reading is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's a famous thought experiment called the Prisoner's Dilemma. Maybe you've heard of it. Imagine that you're a criminal, and you're on the lam. You and your partner, you've robbed a bank. And you get caught. You're taken into the room to be interrogated, but you and your partner, while you're in separate rooms, And, of course, the one who's doing the interrogation, that detective, what he wants is for one of you to rat the other one out. That'll solve all of his problems. If somebody will fess up, then we can take care of this no problem. As long as we have a confession on the books, we can prosecute you. And so he sits you down in the room and he says to you, Look, if you confess and your partner over there confesses, then we'll give you both two years in prison. It'll be easy. Just confess. Just own up to it. If you confess and that other person doesn't confess, guess what, you can get off scot-free, but they're going to jail for five years. But if you don't confess, and your partner confesses, you're going to the slammer for five years and your partner's getting off scot-free. What would you do? That's the prisoner's dilemma. What do you think about how much you trust your partner? That's the question. Do you trust your partner to keep his mouth shut and to not own up, to not gamble that you're going to fess up so that he can get off scot-free. What are you going to do? It's a dilemma. But the fact is that it's really only a dilemma because people are so untrustworthy. It's really only a dilemma because of everything that went down in the Garden of Eden. So think back to how that story went. Adam and Eve living in perfect harmony and trust with one another. The kids always giggle. We can't help giggling when it says, the man and his wife, they were naked and unashamed. But that's noteworthy. They trusted each other completely. Entirely. That's what paradise was. But when sin entered the world, trust was broken. But notice, first of all, that it was not trust between Adam and Eve that was broken first. It was trust between the creature and its creator. Between Adam and Eve and God. And then, as a consequence of that, trust between the two of them was broken. So now they scrambled to cover themselves up with fig leaves, which we all know don't really do a very good job of covering you. They tried their best to maintain their distance, and it was all because they had broken trust with God. And then they began to think that God was untrustworthy like they were. And so, when they heard the Lord walking in the cool of the evening, they hid from him all trust, completely broken down. Everybody's suspicious and skeptical all the time, even to the point where God is inquiring about what happened. And Adam says, It was that woman you gave to me. Trust broken and destroyed entirely, throwing her under the bus. What could be worse than that? Hiding from each other, hiding from God. That is the state of our world, and that is why there are such things as a prisoner's dilemma. I think we do well to observe how serious that problem is. Everyone knows that a society in which trust breaks down cannot function. A society in which people become accustomed to lying all the time, that can't go anywhere. That doesn't do anybody any good. We see that in our world right now. Does anybody really trust what you hear on the news or from our leaders? Does anybody really trust anyone? Of course, you can't. Not because anyone may be more corrupt than another, but simply because they're people. Trust has been lost. That's the state of our world. It goes all the way back to the beginning, and that, by way of this long introduction, that is what Paul is dealing with in 2 Corinthians. Remember last week, he started by addressing the Corinthians with comfort. Everything that happens to us, Paul says, to me and Silvanus, that Silas, And Timothy, everything that happens to us apostles as we're planting other churches, as we're praying for you, as we're suffering, it all happens, Paul says, for your comfort. Tenfold comfort he gives to the Corinthians. I want you to be comforted. And coming out of the crisis that they had faced in his last letter, that comfort is precious. It's just what they needed. Comfort through Christ. Comfort that comes even in the face of affliction, which teaches us not to trust in ourselves, but to trust in God. But now in the second half of this first chapter, Paul's dealing with a lack of trust. He had said in 1 Corinthians that he was planning to visit Corinth, and then his plans changed. He said, I wanted to stop by on my way to Macedonia and have you send me back to Judea on my way back, but I changed my mind. My plans changed. Which might seem kind of trivial. Plans change, right? But when somebody made a promise... When somebody said they would show up and they didn't show up, what's the first thing you think? (laughs) They stood me up. I can't trust them anymore. This is what Paul is facing. And so he says, was I changing my mind? Was I lying? Was my yes not a yes? Was my no not a no? Was I going back and forth? And that's a serious thing. Remember what Jesus says about swearing an oath. He says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, because you can't control what happens to even a single hair of your head much less what's going to happen tomorrow. St. James says you shouldn't swear. Instead, you should say, God willing, this is what will happen. What was Paul doing? Was he misleading the Corinthians when he said that he would come to them and then changed his mind? Well, to answer that question, Paul wants to draw their attention to their source of trust. It is not in the first place because Paul is a trustworthy person. None of us is. None of us can claim that our word is always true, that we always keep our promises, or that we will always do what we say. But, listen again to what Paul says about their life together in Christ. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And in Christ, it is always yes. Now, that's kind of a perplexing thing that Paul has said. But it makes sense when you understand what God is saying to us in Christ. That God is not holding us at a distance. He's not keeping us separate, as though we're untrustworthy or we cannot trust him. But instead, he has brought us close, and in Christ, all of the promises of God receive their yes, even after a long time of waiting. You could make the same accusations against God that the Corinthians could have made against Paul. All through the ages, waiting and waiting for the Messiah to come, Lord, where? Is the Messiah, Lord, where is your kingdom? Why are we suffering? Your people, why are we cast out of Jerusalem? Why have we had to abandon our homes? Why are you disciplining us? Why is there a famine? Why is there a drought? Why are our enemies pounding at our doors? Lord, where are your promises? Is your yes a yes or is it a no? They could have said to God. But in Christ, in Christ once and for all, the promises of God were shown to be reliable and all of the other promises of God fall like dominoes in suit. They follow after that promise in Christ. If God has laid down the life of his Son to save us from sin and death, then there is nothing that he will not do. If God has kept the promise that he made from before the foundation of the world, and in that third chapter of Genesis, to crush the serpent's head, if God has kept that promise, then there is nothing he will not do. And if we, Christians... Share our life together in him whose word is faithful. Then, and really only then, can we trust one another. So Paul says, look, Corinthians, don't judge my character, although my conscience is clear. He's going to return to that again and again. My conscience is clear. I behaved with sincerity. I wasn't coming to you in earthly wisdom. Simplicity and godly sincerity, that's what I brought to you, but... My trustworthiness is through Christ. Christians can trust each other because they've been redeemed by Christ. And that's a precious thing in this fallen, sinful world. A world in which no one can trust anyone else. In which there are these dilemmas abounding. Where you're always wondering whether somebody's going to sell you out. That's the way our world works. But not so in Christ. If God has given you this life in Christ, if God has revealed his heart to you, made himself so vulnerable to you in Christ, so also can we to one another, as members of the same body, put our trust in each other because we live together in Christ. This is what Paul is trying to assure the Corinthians of. He says, you can trust me, not for my sake, but for Christ's sake. And that matters because what Paul shares with the Corinthians and what we share most of all with one another is the precious words of forgiveness. You got to believe me when I say that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. You have to believe one another when you say to one another that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. And that can't be just because you're a reliable or a trustworthy person, but it has to be because we are in Christ. Paul's going to go on in this letter. He's going to talk about why he didn't visit the Corinthians, and there's a lot for us to learn there about being tender-hearted and gentle. But for now, But for now, hold fast to this hopeful thing, that even now in this life, in this sinful world, this dark and wicked and twisted world, we get to experience this joy of heaven. We can trust one another even as God has been trustworthy to us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.